After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, it's Mind Rolling Podcast, and I'm Raghu Marcus. I'm David Silver. Hi, David. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Very nice to uh, speak with you. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've been jamming and chattering uh, before we got on to this podcast. And uh, I was saying, at, at one point, it got really great. And I'm saying, wait, I'm not recording this. you got to wait. Wait. You save this good stuff. Okay? So uh, hopefully, Dave, you know, we have some great stuff from Dave today. But I, uh, I want to talk about something that uh, I don't know how this came to me. But the other day, I must have seen an article somewhere about the Mayorian shaman, uh, who uh, they have incredible uh, healers. And um, these healers travel around the world. There's a certain, like, there's different tribes in them because they come, it's like a family, right? Four or five people. So they came to Los Angeles. This is many years ago. <laughs> and um, they had a, a rather extraordinary way where are they from? What island? I, I guess New Zealand, you know. Somewhere I mean, I, there. I, I, it's no, definitely it's New Zealand. No, it's New Zealand, but I don't know which yeah. part of New Zealand. Right. Anyhow, uh, and, you know, there was a whole family of them. I mean 300-pound sumo wrestlers. Yep. And they, uh, and they, part of this deal, it's, it's painful to get rid of some of this stuff. I mean... Oh and, my you know, God! That's, the, that's so, the euphemism of the century. <laughs> so I, um, I had gone in Los Angeles, and I thought, "Wow, this is really something." I mean, uh, you know, I got tossed around quite a bit, but uh, and there was definitely pain. I remember, yeah, there was pain, and uh, so I think, Dave, what I told you. Yes, you got to see the Maorians. They're going to be in in New York. Dave was in New York. I was in L.A., and he went. Now take it from there. You went to the hotel and you were in yeah. the waiting room. Okay. No, it, well, it wasn't. A, it was actually kind of a, a very fancy apartment on the Upper East Side, a big one. Uh -huh. And I went there because Raghu said, you need this, because I was moaning about something. I don't remember what. And in all good faith, he said, the Maoris, they'll just, I mean, they just knock it out of you. And I thought, great. So I went to this apartment up on the third floor, whatever. <laughs> And it, there was a waiting room, and there was no one else in it except me. And then there was a big room with the door closed. 
And all I could hear was, ah, stop, ah, stop, <laughs> just like, you're hurting me. And it was the most, it was like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It was like some rendering in Egypt of some CIA captive. And I thought, <laughs> I, I'm going now. Uh, I decided to go. I actually got up. And then one of these amazing Maori gentlemen came over just at that moment and said, no, 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 stay. You should stay. And I went in the room and um, they massage you in the most violent way you can imagine without actually breaking your body in bits. Now, wait, and, what did the, didn't you meet the person who was screaming in the room on the way out or something? There was something yeah. you knew about this that was really no, off the wall. Yeah, right. When I went in the room, he was still on the table and just getting off. And he gave me a look like, good luck. He didn't say anything because I think he was frightened. Maybe he would be beaten to a pulp. But that no, that's what happened. And then I went in there. So that and, screaming was a guy, not a girl? It sounded like a girl. No, it was a guy. It was a guy, and he was screaming like a, like a girl. <laughs> what can I tell you? Anyway, they did it to me, and, and it was fine and painful and scary for about half an hour. And then one of these younger Maoris said to me, you know, um, our daddy is the kind of kingpin of this whole thing. Let him work on you. Oh, right. I, and I said Dad. something foolish like, oh, I'd be honored. <laughs> and within, within about two minutes, I really wanted to die because I'm, I'm with screaming and he was going hold on there brother hold on there brother and it was the most pain I, I what he what the what the others did was nothing compared with what he did he put his knuckles of his fist into my into my throat never mind my <laughs> into my throat and it was as if you were being tortured by some giant because he was gigantic too however when i did walk down third uh, up third avenue i did feel pretty great but I'll tell you something. It wasn't worth it. <laughs> In the <laughs> long run, huh? No, because it's now like God knows how many years later and I can still feel the pain in my back. <laughs> so this but, is no advertisement for uh, going to see uh, Maorian healers, uh, yeah, but, but it's it, not it a not advertisement because, maybe you know, I think people... You know, certainly can get help. But I heard the same screaming around me when I went in there. And I'll say that, no, I'm not going to do that again. Absolutely not. No. Uh, but. No. Dave? No. A gentle Swedish massage <laughs> by a gentle person. It's just more of the folly of, I mean, we have tried a lot of different kooky things yeah, in yeah. our years, folks. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to at certain times because, you know, you just feel so terrible that you want something to take it away, you know. Um, but at least with the Marys, they were from, they'd been doing this, they told me, for, you know, centuries. And they were so pure. That's what you got from them was the purity of their presence, you know. And I don't want to say anything negative about it because ultimately, you know, it's another step on the path to releasing toxins, of which no, I had. We're just, you know, little pussy cats that couldn't handle a little bit of pain to get straightened out. That's probably what it's about. Yeah, because people were being rolfed all over the place, you know, and they were going, oh man, yeah, it's, it's so extreme rolfism. This was rolfism squared. I mean, you know, it was, forget about it. All right. So well, I just wanted to, uh, I don't know, it came to me and I thought, you know, this is an interesting part of our journey. I mean, this is a long time ago. What? In the 90s or something. Yeah, in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, listen, the other thing is, I, um, everybody, I don't know if you've been looking at Dave's blogs on mindrollingpodcast.com, but there, there's, uh, I hadn't looked at them all either, 
and then I got to them, and Dave, you, you've been writing some mean stuff, absolutely. Uh, so everybody check it out. And by the way, since we're talking about mindrollingpodcast.com, we need you to further your uh, advances that you've been making to support us. Uh, again, please, can you bookmark the Amazon portal and whatever you buy uh, through Amazon, go through that portal. That is like the easiest and biggest way, uh, aside from a donation, which people have been doing, and we thank you for that. I mean, a, a direct donation, which is absolutely fabulous. But the Amazon thing is really easy, but you got to uh, bookmark that URL because that gives us the few shekels that we get out of the whole total thing. But if there's enough of it, it starts to support us. And um, we we have uh, we honestly we have some plans, uh, and we might as well share it. We're we're planning to do a network, which we're going to include mind rolling. We're going to include Ramdas here and now, and we have a bunch of friends that have you know, as somebody called them, the low hanging fruit friends. <laughs> that's what we should put on the website our low-hanging fruit friends and yes, uh yeah. krishna das and sharon and jack you know and all the people surya um that we uh really love and appreciate uh obviously they're family to us uh but i think objectively as well they they do share uh something of really great uh value and and down to earth and it's all about what mind rolling is about so please do that was our little ad dave i thought i'd just get right into it do it and get it over with there's also audible.com by the way uh and audible.com slash uh trial and you get a free trial when you go there, and uh, you get you can get some books, and then you can cancel. But we still get our I don't know, ten fifteen bucks per person who signs up through our portal, audible.com. And we still have some T-shirts, and we're going to make some more. That's it, Dave. I I have to. Can I just read a little bit of this, or do you want to talk about this? Why don't I read about it? Read something from it. Can I? Yeah, sure. So it's Go Within and Win. That's the title of it. Um, and and it, it, Dave is saying it always comes down to one thing in all of the practices and all of the traditions, uh, spiritual traditions. And it's, it's, as he calls it, not forgetting, just being aware, loving human. That love that is the thing we all share. It is the fabric of the universe. So, and, uh, so let me just read this little part, which I love. It's just the way you said it. Um, and you talk about mindfulness and awareness, of course. Even after this order of mindfulness practice, make no mistake about it, the anger and prejudice and paranoia ghost puppet performers are still there in the cerebral tape library, but they don't remain seriously in the inner subcellular akashic atmanic heart-based record after through practice they start to disappear from the everyday mental paradigm but if we get sloppy and lazy and negative and doubt dulled they come crawling back thankful for the periodic reinstatements of the ancient out-of-date tape player needed to get them back into the psyche. I say tape player rather than digital file to emphasize how these hungry ghost preoccupations 
come from the irrelevant past. That's wonderful. You got to write a book. What? Forget uh, mind rolling. You write a book, make a million dollars, and you won't have to do this anymore. Well, writing a book is a lot harder than doing blogs. But, you know, um, this particular paragraph you read uh, is, you know, yeah, it's something we've learned. But I got to say that all the teachers that I've ever been to that I cared about often talked about this. And Ramdas, again, to go back to dear Ramdas, was one of the first people to get me aware of the fact that there are tapes playing in your head that you don't have to keep playing, but they'll come back if you let them. And um, if you don't let them by constantly being, you know, kind of vigilant without being... Okay, you have to talk about let letting them because... Yeah, it's... well, if you let them in, sometimes it can be quite enjoyable, you know, self-destructive or self-pitiful or all those things that we might fall into. Once you get into that mood, somehow, by the law of karma or something, uh, these tapes come back, and they're tapes of all kinds of nonsense that are, you know, like the woof and warp of your life. Mm. And it's something you might have beaten completely, you think. It's sort of like 12-step people, you know, who, you know, go 19 years without drinking or drugging and then have one drink, and that's the end, as we saw recently, unfortunately, with Mr. Hoffman. Um, it's like that. The brain, the mind will just snap up these these paradigms that come back of, of all kinds of doubt and desire and jealousy and, and self-criticism and criticism of others. So they're tapes playing. Mm. They're files in your mind, but they're not there permanently except you let them. So which says a lot about the dynamics of spiritual practice, that stuff happens if you make an effort. I hate to put it that way. Because some teachers would say that's nonsense. You don't make an effort. But I have to make an effort myself to practice in various ways. And then once you do that, these little schmooze will come in and they you ask them to leave. It's just, okay, kind of leave the premises. And they will. But that dynamic doesn't necessarily occur mm. until you've practiced something which can combat these, what do I call them? I like this expression, Raghu. I call them... Paranoia ghost puppet performers. Mm, love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, let me let me just uh, say that when we talk about let, here's a you know that that active verb. We let them back in, or we don't let them in. Um, so uh, yeah, the let I think can be translated as when you have these paranoia ghost puppet performers in your brain and I think it's really not I think I know it is a matter of identification with the ghost puppet performers when you identify with them then then you are letting in then you're in that active process of letting in as you identify with these thoughts then, and you talk about, well, I've got to try. I've got to do whatever, meditation, whatever it is. I've got to work on awareness and mindfulness. So that, that's the trying part. But I think it's really without trying because it's, it's something you, you're suffering, you know. We're suffering. And through that suffering, we're waking up to the idea of being identified with this stuff meaning we're not identifying with, you know, the true self. And so you're propelled into doing something. You know, people find 
a lecture, they find a yoga class, they find a meditation, whatever it may be, that just leads them uh, to stop identifying with the ghost puppet performers. Right. And all those years ago, half a century ago now, music was a big sort of beginning of that, that some great music of that era would just wake me up and realize I was kidding myself or I wasn't being myself, whatever that meant. And it's, it's, that, it's that, what is it? It's a trigger of teaching. It's not a trigger you need to sort of keep telling yourself to have. You sort of get, it sort of infiltrates. And the more I read, I'm sorry about more low-hanging fruit here, but the more of Sharon and Pema Chodron and all these great uh, contemporary Buddhist interpreters and teachers, the more the mindfulness dynamic seeps into me personally, you know, and I become more aware of these tapes playing and that this isn't really me at all. This is some, you know, dead and gone, you know, piece of reel-to-reel audio tape of me saying something like, oh, I wish I had done that. I could have... That would have been 70 grand, 70 grand. Why didn't I think of it? <laughs> you know, a nonsense like that, or, you know, why I'm, I'm a big failure, or nobody likes me, stuff that can come through. Now, maybe you are a big failure at that moment, but there's no need to keep reinforcing that with stuff that's playing in the psyche. So I guess what we're saying in a way is that it's foolishness to think that stuff disappears unless you're an ascended master. But if you're moving towards some kind of on some sort of path, it makes it easier on yourself when you learn to just, you know, not be attached to these thoughts that are attacking you and will and will get to you eventually if mm. you don't if you don't have some sort of, um, you know, what do they call those things that combat uh, illness antibodies mm. and the antibodies are caused by some sort of discipline. For me, they are at first it was music and and all those things and the substances and the, you know, all that sacramental shamanistic thing and drug thing. But then afterwards it becomes practice. You using your mind to fight your own mind, to release yourself into some kind of peace. And what I, the rest of this blog, Rago, is really about, it's, it's titled Go Within and Win. And it just means that, you know, we've intuited that in all the great paths, if they're pure paths, teach great spiritual paths, it's all about going within. It's never about going out there, you know. It's never about going to find the best temple in the world. It's nice to do that. It's never about there. It's always about what's in your heart and what are you really, really aware of that's within you. So it struck me that you've got to go within to win. And by win, I mean win over uh, the preoccupation with a paradigm of externality, which is, which is created by social and genetic pressures <laughs> you know it's cute i like it i like it uh, the messy traces of reptilian fear and withdrawal are still there somewhere but it doesn't matter once you stop trying fetching achieving failing once and for all and just sit silently for not very long at a time necessarily Open-eyed if you want it all right in front of you. Closed eyes if you want it undifferentiated that way. Somehow your entire human incarnation is only an incarnation born into suffering and 3D, not 4D yet, dream Maya preoccupation because it so desires these colorful distractions. And then in, in the end you say, the love that is the soul of the holy reality 
of what manages, even in this life, to make us feel purely happy, 100% at peace. That's yeah, yeah. That's excellent. I love this. This is really good. I'm, I'm, so... You guys out there, you got to f- uh, share this with with your with your friends out there in social media. It's or on whatever. the blog. It's yeah. on the blog. Uh, the blog is uh, on the main you, page of, of our website, mindrollingpodcast.com. Do you put these? Com. Can I ask you? Do you put these blogs out? Uh, you know, share it on Facebook. You know, with no. a nice picture. No, rarely. Why? Because. Because people don't read long things on Facebook. I've noticed that by looking at the numbers. Hmm. They just so I'd rather just tell them to go to the blog. I haven't done it so far because it felt kind of no. Well, you you don't you know. put a you put the first three lines and a nice picture and a link yeah. to the to the page. All right, I'll do that. I'll Good. do that. I've, I've See, quite a few of them. We're g- we get somewhere here. Yeah, we, we have we, to do we it manage while, to we, manage. while we're talking to you. We work out how to do this. Yeah, uh, this is know. it. This is uh, it. Um, so any, anyhow, do go there, and uh, this is great stuff, Dave. Um, it's also uh, the birthday, or the other day, of yesterday. someone. Yesterday. yesterday. It was yeah. yesterday, Bob Marley. Yeah. And David uh, is so, you know, in his career, as as you know, perhaps if you have listened to some of the earlier podcasts, worked with Bob uh, many years ago, obviously, and um, and has fantastic uh, accounts of some of the times that he spent with Bob. And maybe you know, I think it'd be even if somebody's heard it before. What what comes to mind is something to share just in honor of Bob and your own well, personal experience. On a very humble level, I directed this show called Rockers, which was the first reggae television show, and it was on a public access station in New York between 1978 and 1982 or something. And it was a reggae show. And Bob was on it all the time. We had him on 12 times. And uh, the studio was above a welding shop on 58th and next to the West Side Highway. We couldn't afford to get anything else because no one would pay us for this. And we just put it together every week and we had people on. But Bob liked the show. It was just my friend Earl and myself talking to him one-to-one, you know, and that was it. But every 20 minutes, a welding machine from um, below would go off. We didn't know what it did, but it was a huge noise. It would interrupt everything. And it seemed that every time Bob came to do an interview, the welding noise would happen. And I've never seen anybody less uptight about that. In other mm. words, Bob was, you know, Bob wasn't nothing then. This is, you know, 1978, 79, that period. He was a huge global star. But he took, you know, he took a cab down to this very lowly part of the West Side and came into our little studio. And he was so nice about that. The welding would start, go, oh, man, welding, you know, welding. Mm. And he'd laugh, you know, and we'd all laugh. Mm. And, and we'd sit there. And probably do something else for a minute or two, which you could probably guess, and you know maybe take a tug or two. And it was always fun to to partake of that with Mister Mister Bob Robert Nestor Marley, but he was he was lovely like that. He could be nasty to people that were very antagonistic towards him, but that faded as he got older and as he got sicker. Mm. Um, my favorite stories of him are hanging out with him in Kingston at his house at, on Hope Road which wasn't a, a humble dwelling, but it wasn't a mansion. And I spent many a time with him there. And usually we sat on the stoop, which was, there was a courtyard around the house. And the very first time that I did that, not that it wasn't the first time I met him, but 
first time. I, am I going on too long here? No, no. Okay. Are you kidding? Okay. I'm totally okay. into it. So I, Earl, my friend Earl and I drove from the airport uh, to Bob's house because we were doing a, a, a kind of a project with him that he wanted to do in New York City, specifically for Tough Gong Records, which was his ownership, not Island Records, which he was on for American distributorship. Mm. So Tough Gong was his company. He was known as The Gong, Bob the Gong Marley. I don't really know why, but he was the gong, and people referred to him as the gong. So we got to his house, and he was sitting on the stoop with a couple of his friends. There were always friends there. And he saw Earl and, my, and me, and was tremendously gracious and, and said, oh, come sit down with us here, you know. And he was warmer than he usually was. I wouldn't say he was a warm and fuzzy human most of the time. He was kind of stern in a way. But he was very, very lovely. We sat down, and he was rolling this gigantic split. <laughs> And I'm looking at it, and I think I thought maybe I was dead or something, because for a moment I got disoriented. I thought, I'm sitting outside Bob Marley's house, and he's rolling this gigantic surreal split. Is this a dream? It doesn't seem real. And then he handed this thing which more resembled like a pyramid or something, <laughs> this huge blunt. And he handed it to me and said, yeah, Mr. Silver, this is yours, you know. <laughs> and I was flabbergasted, because I, you know, flabbergasted. Well... The end of it, the end of the spliff was about three quarters of an inch big, if you can imagine, the actual sort of end of it. Mm. And it tapered down to what you actually smoked. And it was about five or six inches long. <laughs> and it was deep brown paper, I remember that. And I'm thinking, what is this going to be like, <laughs> you know, from Bob? So anyway, I took a, a, a fairly, I thought, big draw on it. And he looked at me with great, what he calls screw face. Called it screw face when he was upset or annoyed. The Bob gave me screw face and he said, No, man, even draw, man. I said, Okay, I will. So I took a big puff on it and then I put it down and I was in some kind of other dimension. I knew it was Bob Marley, I knew I was Dave, but I couldn't talk anymore <laughs> because of the power, the power of this particular vegetable. Wow. And anyway, anyway, very soon after that, he mustered together about 15 people to play a soccer game of which he played in, in the game and asked me to do it. And I could hardly stand up and felt like a real dweeb. And I said, Bob, I said, Bob, no, I'd really like watching football, but playing, no. And they played like maniacs, by the way. Mm, yeah, anyway, yeah, that's yeah. a bit of my Bob. Every one of his songs is iconic. Um, I was, all I had was a very fortunate episode with Marley at a concert of his at Madison Square Garden, uh, which was like an epic event. I don't know if I, you, I think you know this story. You I'll talked about it on the first show. I did. I told the story first, already. All right, so I'm not going to tell you. Going to the bathroom? Not going to the bathroom. No, getting really ridiculously high. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he had the same smoke. Because I knew the people who sold it to him, and we got ours from them. So we had the same exact, it was Thai sticks. And, uh, and yeah, somebody made, you know, when you make brownies, you're only supposed to put in shake. You're not supposed to put in bud. And uh, it was my uh, ex-wife, and she put in bud, and we all had two of them. So we were all on a tremendous acid trip, about 15 people in a row who hadn't smoked in years. Okay, because we were on this, in this kind of silly thing where I first met Dave. Um, cult. And that we've done that one to death. Um, and uh, 
So uh, we, uh, Marley, when by the time he came on, there was people going, when is this going to end? Uh, do you have any Thorazine, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, and people throwing up right in, in their seats and stuff. I mean, that's how it was just, there was 20,000 people screaming and jumping up and down. And Marley is like a shaman. He was like a shaman. He was a shaman and uh, completely uh, transformed our consciousness alongside of the support of this supreme herb it's one of the best herb i ever had in my whole life and knowing that marley was smoking the same they i think they smoked a half a pound in the a day before that That's whole day before typical, yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's interesting that you and i had the same experience of smoking his we by the way i just want to say right now that someone did call me on the phone uh last week saying too much drug talk you're irresponsible the same rap and oh. we'll say it again that uh, don't encourage the use of any powerful, you know, herb unless you're in the right setting and with the right people. I know exactly herb? about it. That's acid. Not, not, not herb. I'm talking about, you know, acid and other uh, hallucinogens. You know, we don't advocate using those unless you're really with people who know exactly what they're doing. And don't advocate using them at all, actually. If you can do it without it, it's more healthy, so fine. So I just wanted to say that to slightly... Uh, uh, assuage this wonderful person who called me on the phone. Sounds like uh, an FCC announcement or something, though. <laughs> no, I it's mean, not, really, no. I wouldn't uh, say that at all. Obviously, be responsible if you're going to take a powerful psychotropic substance. Yeah, you need to be responsible. You can't go discoing. You can't do that kind of shit. You got to do it for the right reasons. And if you don't do it for the right reasons, then of course you're just dealing with you know, uh, some real potential suffering and long, longer term effects or whatever. But so, you know, that's, you know, we advocate or uh, is uh, just responsible behavior, not, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't actually say I, I wouldn't say it's uh, better not to do it. I would not say that since we have all uh, done it and yeah. it was an opening door I could never, ever say it's better, you know. Uh, for for you and for me and for others, yeah. But I know people who've never done it who are just in it's a great place and always will be. There are people who don't want to do it. And There's people in a great place that never done acid or psychedelics? Of course there are. There are. Of course. Now, you're being facetious, <laughs> but I mean... Not I, really. But, I don't know anybody that... Uh, oh, I do. I yeah. mean, I, I do. I don't want to go into because it's personal stuff. But okay. the truth of the matter is that... You know, I I had some difficult times with psychedelics, and I wish I'd have been a bit less cavalier about it, actually, and that I had more guidance from people because I just went willy-nilly and, you know, was taking it all the time. Yeah. And But, but you know, to get back to... Um, what are we getting back to? Uh, I've forgotten. Oh, Bob Marley, right? <laughs> Bob Marley. Well, yeah. you know, Bob Marley was all about, like, like every other great artist and shaman, you know, it's all about learning to love. And and learning to get beyond the, uh, you know, the, the sort of war, as he put it, you know, war in the world. Yeah, but uh, he the, his main shamanistic thing was he really was connected to that love, to who he really was in relation to that, in relation to your whole uh, blog. You know, that that is the substance and the foundation um, that we share, that is the fabric. And yeah. he was yeah. connected. He was identified with that fabric, not with the other one. And so he could transmit it. I mean, you know, he had that power and, and he certainly did. These 20,000 people were just, you know, right in that joy. I mean, it was amazing. Um, I have a quote that might be interesting. OK. OK. 
I really love this, and you know, it's from Anias Nin, right? You know Anias? I not not personally, but I know that it's she a was famous part, book, you know. the the diary of a, it's her diary, and in it's really pretty wild stuff, and it's all, the, you know, living in Paris. Uh, what is it in the forties, fifties, maybe something around then, and Henry Miller was there and those, you know, Tropic of Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer, those books that he wrote and he was uh, very, very closely associated with her. So I thought it was all about, I mean, I love Henry Miller. I mean, those are the greatest sex books that we ever had when we were teenagers. I mean, you know, David, uh, I mentioned this to him earlier and he went, nah, terrible shit. (laughs) I mean, I said... But what? Those descriptions of the sexual picadillos that he had one and that his whole life was nothing but thinking about where he could get it next. I mean, I mean, it was good for me when I was 15 to 16 to 17. And I really loved him then. And he was my favorite person in the world. Never mind writer. But later I looked at it and thought, okay, this is pretty one dimensional. Now, I don't want to get any you know, guff from anybody about that Henry Miller ain't great or something. He's great, I guess. No, he's great. I give you guff. Are you kidding? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I mean, the those kinds... I like, you know, I like Jane Austen. <laughs> oh. Jesus. British <laughs> thing. Terrible. Here's the quote. Okay. Understanding is not a piercing of the mystery, but an acceptance of it a living blissfully with it, in it, through and by it. Is that great? It is. Would you mind reading it again? Understanding is not a piercing of the mystery, okay? But an acceptance of it, a living blissfully with it, in it, through and by it. So she's talking about an understanding that is not in the mind, it's a intuitive understanding uh, and therefore an acceptance, living blissfully with it, in it, just being it. And it's v- such a high spiritual statement. I never thought that this woman, I mean, obviously, I don't know that much about her. I read, you know, some of the book, you know, 50 years ago or something. Um, but I just, uh, and you know, I just found this thing and I thought, wow, this is, have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Yeah, that's great. Another great thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is but, and another one. It is possible to live and not know. Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of just to go back a sec. That's kind of like saying there are some people who don't need to take psychedelics or ayahuasca or anything who just know and they don't really know and they don't care that they don't know. They love life and they love people and whatever. It's a natural thing, you know. And she's saying you don't have to know that the mystery is delicious, if you like, you know, if you allow it to be what it is. I mean, you know, on the few occasions that I've been in places like Big Sur or in certain mountain ranges in North Africa, when you saw the, the stars for what they really are, it's kind of like mm, these millions yeah. of stars. Mm. I, I would get completely overwhelmed by this, knowing that most of them were light years away and 
countless trillions of them had solar systems around them which could involve the gestation of beings, um, overwhelmed and would get sort of depressed as well as being in a kind of a bliss state because I couldn't just accept that I didn't really know what I was looking at. You know, countless billions of suns like ours mm. that are just tiny parts of galaxies that are just tiny parts of something else. And I always wanted to know, it's like, okay, when I die, can I just fly around and go to like Alpha Centauri? Or mm. will there come a time when I'll be able to reach out into the heavens and know what that's all about? I think in the quote you wisely chose, you know, it's just, no, just dig it. Just dig it. You're only supposed to know what your level of ev evolution can allow you to know. And that's not DNA, but it's also awareness. I mean... Well, it's deep, deep, you know, karmic evolvement. Right, um, right. Can right. I... Uh, actually, she further elucidates mm. in, in another um, little paragraph. It is possible I never learned the names of birds in order to discover the bird of peace, the bird of paradise, the bird of the soul, the bird of desire. It is possible I avoided learning the names of composers and their music, the better to close my eyes and listen to the mystery of all music as an ocean. It may be I have not learned dates in history in order to reach the essence of timelessness. It may be I never learned geography, the better to map my own roots and discover my own lands. The unknown was my compass. The unknown was my encyclopedia. The unnamed was my science and progress. I mean... I think that's, that, that that's I, staggering. I, I, it is staggering. It's brilliant. Anais, Anais Nin is not a legend and an icon for nothing. I mean, well, I'm going to get it, this book. This book. Uh, which one is it? Which one? Actually, is it? So, I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know where they. Uh, the book that they're showing, and this is an article from um, somewhere, brain picking something, brain pickings, and um, the book is. I mean, the must be the diary of Anais Nin. That's her famous book. And that's the famous book. So I would have to say this is in there, and I am going to go to Amazon yeah. and get myself a copy. Uh, I hope that I can get it. Actually, uh, I'd love to get it uh, on a Kindle because I want an, uh, an e-book. Uh, but uh, go through Mind Rolling Podcast uh, uh, Amazon portal and, uh, again, help us out there yeah, and get this book, because this looks, I mean, we're going to get it. This looks Well, what like you just read was just, I think, astonishing. I mean, I've read it before when you sent oh, it really? to me, and I, I had the same response sitting mm. alone here thinking, oh, mm. my God. But now that you read it, oh. she's saying that our, our intense desire to label and define everything reduces our appreciation immeasurably. And her friend, her compass is the unknown, she says. She doesn't want to know the names of the birds or whether Beethoven or Mozart wrote this. Where most of us are compelled by this stuff. It's like, oh, you know, when did Elvis Presley record All Shook Up? It was in 1957. It was on the sun. You know, I mean, ridiculous nonsense, actually. And Miss Nin points that out like a spiritual master, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, who knew? Who, uh, exactly. People are going to write and say, you know, both of us are 
you know, yeah, assholes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Because, no, you know, don't. we're talking no, about I... shit we don't know anything about and quoting stuff and, you know, I haven't read the book and, you know, and when I did, I probably only skimmed it a little. What the hell, you know? And, uh, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. But we do the best we can <laughs> with our limited intelligence. Um, but this, I, I'm happy I found this. And uh, honestly, until you and I just did this thing with it, uh, you know, this stuff hangs out. I look at, oh, that might be something. I don't actually get into it till I read it with you. That's why I like what we do here. I like, you know, reading really, um, I don't know, the transformational passages from people who have, you know, some depth and uh, a vantage point that uh, allows you to get in. You know, it's like a hook of a song. It allows you to get you know what uh, what's being talked about and by the way in this same thing there there's an extension of your um blog um go within and win uh i mean this 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 is uh uh from uh, this little story that features anias um we continue to grasp for the security of our comfort zones the affirmation of our areas of expertise, the assurance of our familiar patterns, however badly they need rewiring. Huh? That's well said, and it fits really with what you, uh, what you talked about in, in, the, uh, in the blog. Uh, because that is, you know, the repetition of our day-to-day really grasping for whatever is familiar, even if it's shit you get angry at. I mean, I know sometimes, you know... You know that feeling when, when, like, you get angry and you lose complete awareness. You have no awareness at all. You're letting go. I actually now sometimes, and it, you know, thank God, it, you know, in older days I had a lot of problems with this, and I have way less now. But still, and I, when it does happen, which is once in a blue moon, I keep saying let that, me, but full of shit, let me right? Interrupt you, Roger. Yeah. When I first met Roger, in the crowd of many people, including you know people that you've heard about. Um, he scared the shit out of me, man. I was scared no. of him. I was friendly with him, but I was scared of his disapprobation on some level. So this proves how stern he was when he was like 28. No, that's not. No, come on. That was just because I had a bit of a, you know, a, a face mask that wasn't a smiley. Okay. I wasn't one of those little smiley things. And, uh, Really? And so it did cause me problems. People used to come up to me when I was a kid, and they'd go, "What? What's something wrong? Are you angry?" I mean, all the time. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because I had not. I was just lost in thought or something. Anyhow, um, <laughs> the anger. So I catch myself sometimes when this happens that I can feel. Oh, that's a good feeling. I'm feeling re- I'm relating with this thing that that sh- this energy that's shooting out as something that is, uh, you know, supporting my identity, um, uh, my familiarity with with something that's been going on a long time. And it has a certain energy with which seems to, you know, is 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 having a payoff an ego payoff. I can see it happening, you know, uh, but it is so self-evident that. That you know that we do grasp for for this the kind of security or feeling depressed. People like okay, I'm gonna you know I'm depressed and I'm gonna stay there because that's what I know. I felt it a lot before, and there's some kind of payoff, you know, self-identification payoff. Um, 
you know, so uh, yes, we need rewiring big time. Anyhow, that fits in with your thing, I thought. Yeah, but it's she's such a. I mean, I I'm with you. I want to reread her because I, I didn't. I read her at a time in my life when I think I I actually didn't understand material of the caliber of that mm. and just yeah. sort of dismissed her as that, par- you know, the Paris group. Cause I never really loved Ernest Hemingway and Fitzgerald and those guys. I mean, I knew they were great writers. I knew that I got it. I get it. Okay. But you know, it never really captured me. into I, I, you know, that era, I think uh, Anais Nin was after, after, no, I think she was probably contemporaneous with Hemingway and Fitzgerald and those people. Yeah, it's 30s, 40s, 50s, right? Exactly, there, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they were kind of like the precursors to the Beats, if you think about it. You know, the Beats, Kerouac, Ginsburg, uh, you know, Ferlinghetti and all those people. Before them, there was Henry Miller, Nias Nin, and then going further back, Fitzgerald, Hemingway, who were basically rebels and characters, you know, who could write about themselves. It, it wasn't ever anything like that before. And eventually led to Beat and Ginsburg and Buddhism and hmm. heaven only knows yeah. what else. Right. You know? right. So, no, it's definitely, it, it definitely fits with triggers that, that we uh, experienced eventually, in, you know, certainly in the late 60s. She's, she is a direct connection to that, as, as is Henry Miller. So this is great. Let's investigate... Uh, the book and uh yeah. you know further yeah. and maybe it'll have other elucidations yeah absolutely for us. uh <laughs> so um listen can i do a, a commercial we have to leave now uh yeah, yeah. and yeah, but do it, do it. uh uh and it's not for us it's uh that um in my other uh job uh and we are uh putting out a we re are re-releasing a book called Grist for the Mill from Ramdas that was published first in nineteen seventy six. That is a real uh it's in uh, many people love this book a lot because it's uh, out of all Ramdas's books because it's very, very uh connective to really the be here now concept. I mean it's him and very, very um uh, experiential and uh, down-to-earth ways in which he uh, connects uh, the reader with the process of just being and how we evolve you know, and evolving as human beings in a way that's really got no dogma and no, you know, uh, just... Uh, highfalutin Buddhism, Hindu concepts, um, although there are some there. Uh, anyhow, I can't more highly recommend it, and it's updated uh, for uh, 2014. And uh, again, go to Amazon, which will be, uh, uh, it'll be, I think this is, it's going to come out when, the, you know, this, it'll be the day, we'll make this happen. The day of this podcast, as you're listening to this, please, that day, Go and buy it through our Amazon portal at mindrollingpodcast.com. That would be great because then you'll help, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Ramdas and the foundation continue to do that work of getting all that information and teachings out there. And then you'll also help support us here at Mind Rolling. And we're going to say goodbye. Do you have anything else to say? No, no. I really enjoyed this hour or whatever it was. I'm not sure how long it was. And uh, we we thank you for your letters and uh, and donations very much, and we're we're very happy for the feedback 
uh, that you give us, and it helps us um, design these things. So thank you for that. So uh, it's been great. And read the uh, blog. Read this blog. It's it's yeah. great, folks. In uh, yeah, and there's yeah. other stuff Dave puts up there that are, that is yeah. wonderful. All right, that's it from Mind Rolling Podcast. See you next week. Mm-hmm.